You're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Brian McCubbin. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. David Hall. My mic is working. All right. Donnie Spiker. Good afternoon, everybody. Tony Groves. What up, gentlemen? What up? And special guest, Mackenzie Stevens. How's it going, everyone? All right. On the show this week, we welcome special guest and new lounge mate, Mackenzie. The Skip Barber Formula Race Series really heats up as the season nears its conclusion, and iRacing gives a peek into the new content coming in the next build. Yeah, you can follow us along with us on your PC or mobile device in real time as you listen to the show and see for yourself all the great topics and products we'll discuss by visiting iRacersLounge.com and selecting show notes. So hop on and let's see you there. Welcome, special guest Mackenzie Stevens. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Well, real good. So uh, let's talk. Tell the group how we met. Uh, you basically were listening to the show, and you heard my call out for a potential teammate podcast host, and uh, you thought you might fit the bill, and you hit me up, and and boom, here you are. That it was pretty easy, huh? Yeah, that's. I didn't expect it to be that easy, but. I mean, I heard you say it in the podcast, and I was interested, so I figured, why not give it a shot, and here I am. Well, the listeners always want a, a fresh perspective, and so that's why we always are adding to the group. Uh, but let's get to know you a little bit uh, through our regular uh, Q&A. Uh, first one, what brought you to iRacing, and how did you first hear about it? So uh, how I actually first heard about iRacing is uh, my girlfriend's dad had been running it, so uh, he got me onto his sim and got me to try it out. And right away, I was hooked and wanted to start up my own sim and start racing. All right. Yeah. Once you see it, you're like, what? Okay. Now, uh, we talked about what you've been racing. Uh, so what series do you normally run? Yeah. So right now, I've mainly been running the, the C-Class trucks. Um, I did run my first uh, first cup car race last night on the I, NASCAR iRacing series. Yeah, we kind of threw you in the fire there, didn't we? Yeah, a little bit. It uh, it went okay for my first race, I'd say. Now, now you've been running the truck, and, and so this is your first time in the next-gen 7. I'm curious what your perspective of this car is. I mean, does it feel like it has more power? Is it better to race? Is it worse? What do you think? Yeah, so it, it definitely feels like it has more power, and it's definitely a lot faster. Um. It almost did feel like it stuck to the racetrack a little more than the truck, though. I was I was surprised at that. All right, very good. So we're going to get you involved in the A uh, the NASCAR iRacing series, and uh, and and you're mostly an oval guy, right? Yeah, yeah. That that is mostly what I run. All right, and you've been on iRacing a little bit over a year. 
and uh, not too bad on the winning percentage. I think it was a little above 4% overall for Oval. Yeah, I think I have about two wins in around 40, 50 races. All right, very good. What other uh, disciplines are you running or thinking about running? Are you into the dirt or the road? or? So uh, I do run dirt ovals a little bit, and I run road a little bit. I have been mainly just sticking to the, the oval right now, trying to get my license up a little higher and get some more eye rating. But I do run the, the road and the dirt oval quite a bit too. Cool. So let's break into what type of hardware are you running, like your wheels, your pedals, that kind of thing. And is it the same that you started with? Yeah, so I'm just running a Logitech G29 right now, the, the wheel, the pedals, and then I have the shifter with it also. Uh, that is what I started with, but when I started, I just had it mounted to a desk. I do have a, I do have a next level GT Lite fold up race sim right now, just because of space, the fold up was better. Um, I'm running a 27 inch monitor that just sits on my desk right now, but I I do want to upgrade my uh my wheel and pedals here eventually, but for now it they work. Okay, very good. And uh, what about any third-party software? I mean, we, we introduced you to TeamSpeak last night. You were running that while you were racing, but anything else you run? No, I don't currently have anything else like that. I would like to, uh, to look for something for overlays and stuff to have a little bit better on-screen information. All right. Well, you're in the right place for that. Uh all right, and then you said a 27-inch monitor. Uh, that's pretty cool. Are, are you interested in trying VR or, you, or going triples? Um, I think I would like to try VR probably. I've always, I've always wanted to try it. I think I'd want to try one before I buy one to make sure I like it first. But Okay. Now, you've only been here a little over a year. Any, have you been part of a team before now or, uh, or not? No, I haven't been part of any teams until now. All right, now we uh, kind of threw you in the fire. You were in the team speak with uh, maybe ten guys all running at the same time in the NIS. Uh, what do you think of that environment compared to when you race alone? Uh, you're getting all this audio input from various people. Did you find it beneficial, or what did you think? Yeah, I definitely found it beneficial. You're uh, you're running, and you hear you hear the other guys racing and in different uh, splits saying when they're getting cautions, what they're doing for their tire strategy and everything. So it makes you think about what you should run and it, it definitely, it's definitely beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely helps. Uh, oh, cool. And do you do any other uh, leagues or hosted or is it just official racing pretty much? No, right now I'm just running official racing. I did think about joining a league, but I wanted to get my, I rating and stuff up a bit first before I started committing to a league. Okay. And uh, so far in the year and one month you've been on iRacing, what has been your most memorable iRacing moment? Um, I mean, my, my most memorable so far has probably been my first win. That was, that was pretty cool to get. I believe it was in the Arca car. So. Yeah. You'll always remember the first one for sure. And, uh, and they're not easy to get either. No, you, you'd, you'd think it would be easier when you first start, but then you realize it's it's pretty tough. You really got to work for it. Yeah, I always tell remember, people, look, if it, it was easy, nobody would do it. Do you remember what track it was at that you won? 
I was trying to think about that. I can't remember what track. I want to say maybe it was Darlington. Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough track to get your first win. That's not bad. I was thinking mine is USA. Yeah, I, I remember I got lucky with a, a few guys wrecking, and I just got out in front and kept going. Hey, they all count, man. You got to be there to take it. Well, uh, Mackenzie Stevens, it's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit. Uh, we're going to get to keep knowing you. You're going to be a regular on the show. And so welcome. Um, and, uh, and it's going to be fun racing with you. So we'll see you on the track. Thank you. I'm excited for it. As we roll into the topics, we're going to jump straight into the Porsche Super Cup round two. Brian, take it over. Yeah, so uh, this past weekend was round two of the Porsche Tag Heuer Super Cup series. Uh, they were at Magnicors. So Magnicors is the one of the newer tracks. So it's the first time the series ever has ever been on this track. Um, it, uh, it had some really good racing on it. And uh, at the end of the day, Charlie Collins uh, takes the win uh, at the at that uh, at the track series opener for that track, I should say. Um, so uh, Diego Pinto, who is um, the returning champion of the series, uh, he finished uh, second. Sorry, he's finished second place, um, and uh, actually took the lead back. Uh, took the lead of the points back after a strong week two finish. So, Jordan Caruso finished third in the race, and in the point series, uh, Diego again Pinto in the lead, just two points behind. You know, it's only the second race of the series. Is Charlie Collins, Jordan Caruso is uh, third in points. Zap Campbell, who won week one, uh, or uh, yeah, won the first round, is in third, and Sebastian job uh is in fifth um sebastian uh, finished fourth in the race uh on saturday and uh to to go along with a with a tough week one he uh he's uh he's managed to get back close to the you know get back close to the point series um title so he's got a long way to go to catch up if, if he wants to take his his victory but diogo is uh right now the leader in points as we go to uh ooh, next week long beach should be a really interesting race now sebastian job is off just a, the hair they show that the best time the lap times for these top five from the race and he's only off like a half a tenth um uh, no, it's a half of a hundredth or, or yeah, I guess that's the way to say it. I mean, he's only off the other times just a hair, but that's enough to put him in fourth. Yeah. And, um, Charlie Collins actually won by six seconds, which is a, sounds like a, a huge win and, and it kind of is, but it was really a product of the racing that was going on behind him because Sebastian job was second for a long time in that uh, feature race. And then, um, as Diogo and Jordan Caruso were catching him and trying to get by him, it slowed up those positions and Charlie Collins kind of checked out at that point. All right. Another event that's coming up is the ADAC Sim Racing Expo. I really wish we had something like this in America, but this one's going over on Dortmund. It began back in 2018, I guess, and is returning in 2023. And after a successful show last year, they're hoping that uh, the 
I guess this is the, the change in venue is to Messe Dortmund, right? Yes. Now that I'm reading this. Correct. So it used to be um, at the uh, Nürburgring circuit. And so they're moving it for this year. It was further somebody. north uh, to a place called Dortmund. And uh, the nearby towns include Cologne and Dusseldorf. Should you want to throw in a spot of tourism during your trip? Also, there's a calendar change. It used to be in December. Now it's October. Need something like this in the in the Americas uh, in in the summer. That would be great. It would. In fact, um, the expo was asking for uh, feedback, and that's what some of the feedback I gave them. I'm like, you need to come to North America. I'm sure once it gets going, that will some American company here will come up with their own convention. Uh, maybe iRacing. That'd be great. You're so in convention. Well, no, you're not in Vegas. You're actually over in Cali, right? I started to say Vegas is kind of convention town. October 13th through the 15th will be the uh, dates. The tickets are actually available now. Yeah, we have about three decent conventions down here in Southern California that we go to every year, but uh, nothing sim racing related. So it'd be nice to get something out here. Now there will, I'm sure there will be a lot of good content. Like with last year's expo, we got to see the new sim coach, not sim coach. Um, sim cube pedals right we got to see those featured as well as a lot of other equipment yeah this next one all right go ahead i was gonna say that last expo was really cool um they had a lot of great stuff and and you're right guys this needs to come to america i'm sure america's one of the bigger markets for sim racing uh, apparel and, and accessories so why not have it here it doesn't make sense to me is that three day pass? Rotate. yeah rotate it do what they got to do is that three day pass 58 dollars or 58 euros? Is that how to read euros? 58 comma zero zero? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That is not a terrible price at all for for an expo. So I'm curious the, the size of this thing. Well, it does say in the article, we plan to welcome more than 30,000 visitors from the metropolitan area this year and round out their visits with other topics like car tuning, entertainment, electronics, and a job fair. So they're referring to the new uh, venue, which is a bigger venue. And, and they're basically presenting this as we've outgrown the current venue. We need something bigger. Yeah, sim racing's growing. All right, now I'll pick up the next one because this one's definitely one that I found and, and gave a good watch because I was wanting to get the information about how the GTP rules were after watching the 24 and hearing them talk about it on the radio. Essentially, is it's um, they're using a maximum scent energy instead of, and basically a virtual fuel tank as a way to decide as to, to determine how much uh, the cars have to pit. And they want them to still have to pit in the same time. If you, if you run, if you race on the service, you know, the, the tank size is about 67 liters, but the real tanks are over, over a hundred and um, they don't need that much fuel anymore, especially combined combined with this new stint limit, basically they get 920 joules that they can spend per stint. And I may not have the exact units right, but I, I believe that was it. And the way that's measured is they have torque sensors somewhere on the drivetrain. I can't remember if it was on actually on the drive shaft or on the axles, but they have torque sensors that basically determine how much energy they're spending. So no matter what system, hybrid system, the manner, the, uh, the manufacturers use they're basically determining how much energy is going to the wheels and they can only spend so much 
percent before they have to pin it. And if they go over that, they'll actually get a, a 100 second penalty. So at this point, they no longer actually have to fill the tanks up and they actually have to spend enough time in the pit, even if they don't need it to, f- to fill the tank up, to fill the virtual tank up to get another 920 joules worth of energy to spend. And the only way they can go, they can go less on that if they, if they happen to, uh, it happens to be at the end and they only need a little bit because for every second they get, I think 27 seconds worth of, or 27 joules worth of, of fuel. So they have to spend 40 seconds to, to take it all the way up to 920. So they don't actually really fill up the tanks anymore. They basically just pretend they're full or not. Wait, so are they charging during a pit stop? No, all the, there's, there's no charging. All the charging is done basically with, with the, uh, I forget the acronym. Breaking. The MGU is what it's called. The MGU is what recharges the battery. And all they do is when they're plugged in to, to, to add fuel, there's also a sensor that breaks a beam that tells them that they're plugged in or not. And that tells IMSA that they're plugged in and they have to plug in for the for the 40 seconds if they want to run a maximum sin again. Um, another interesting thing that they talked about is they actually never really want to have the battery over 90% state of charge because if it's fully charged, the MGU will not work as part of the braking mechanism. So if your battery is completely charged, you can't brake as hard. And they also don't want the MSE to completely run to zero and risk the 100-second penalty. So they, they, they can conservatively pit you know, with 5% remaining or something like that. Yeah, and I mean, it's essentially, that's about the same. It would be a worse penalty if you ran out of fuel than even the 102nd penalty, right? So they just, they have to mathematically determine what the fuel is instead of uh, actually running out or not. And it's basically a a way to completely eliminate fuel mileage advantages from any of the cars. And, And so that's how they get. I remember a few teams got warnings at Daytona. And so... I'm curious if there's also a maximum amount of battery you can spend on a lap, though I, I would, I'm, they didn't say anything about this in the video, or if those teams were actually actually went over the stint energy and they were letting them get away with get, get away with it once at Daytona with a warning because they, every once in a while they would announce over the radio that a team got a warning over the the stint energy policy. Probably because it's a brand new policy, you know, probably first times a warning. That's impressive, David. <laughs> so, how do they keep track of your how much energy output you've done? Is there is there a gauge on your uh, dashboard? Yeah, there's torque sensors that actually transmit straight to uh, to, to IMSA and the teams, and they it's based somewhere on the shaft. It's just a torque sensor that tells you how much energy you're actually throwing into the into the shaft, and that's what determines how much energy energy they spend, whether it's with fuel or hybrid. One way or the other. So, how do you implement implement that in iRacing? It will be interesting because it's a totally different ball game, right? When you don't act, when you have a a mathematical limit on how much energy you can spend versus actually uh, going. They would have, they'd have to do quite a bit of code rewriting, I think, to implement it. I hope they do, but it would be yeah. interesting. So you're saying the iRacing model doesn't follow this rule? Not at all. No. Um, you have a smaller tank. You you just see, you you just burn gas and use and and manage your battery as you go, and that controls controls it. Um, 
so why would they why why would they restrict that the amount of jewels they use? Why 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 do they keep it? Why don't they just make it unlimited and then you know everybody's on the same level? Is it you know what that's I mean? exactly what they're that's what exactly what they're doing is trying to keep everybody okay. on the same level because not every hybrid system may may work the exact same way. One may use more battery. One may be a little bit stronger engine. Uh, one could have different advantages in this torque area and and, and so forth. Uh, for example, when we ran the LMPs, the not the Acura, the what was it? It was an there was an Audi and a Porsche. The Porsche would actually recharge on the straightaways, even when you weren't on the brake, whereas the Audi only recharged when you were on the brake. Um, and it's it completely changed the way both of the cars handles, and they were always having to constantly balance those two different aspects separately. Um, so this this the idea here is just everybody burns this much energy and they can tell how much energy is getting burned and that's all you get. So it's it's for balance of power instead of against balance of power. All right, Donnie, uh, something a little bit simpler. Why is there trading paints? You know, it wasn't so simple when I first got on. I, I asked the same question, um, but iRacer in the forums, Sam Halliday asked, "Why is there no? Uh, why is there trading paints?" He asks, what is Trading Paints doing with the default game is not doing? Wouldn't people just be able to share the custom maps offline without the need to run a third-party service? And honestly, I've, long story short, it's licensing, right? That's why uh, Trading Paints exists. Uh, iRacing wouldn't be able to pay for all those awesome sponsors that we run via third-party. You, you know, if you run the Home Depot logo or the car, you know, the orange car for Home Depot, and iRacing has the Home Depot paint in the sim, you know, default style. Would Home Depot try to get a license fee from iRacing? The answer is probably yes. But are is Home Depot going to go after trading paints? That's that's the whole idea. Yeah, I'm curious how that works. So this answered my question shortly after I got on, and I, I asked the same question to myself. I I never made a forum post about it, but but you're right, like. What's preventing these larger companies um, going after trading paints? Is it just they're too small? They're not worrying about it. Yeah, it's just a, it's two guys. It's two it's, guys, and it's just going to take one of those corporate companies getting pissed that they see their logo on with something else. Not to give them any ideas. It's free advertisement to a degree, but um, yeah, trading paints all the way. We need it. So, Vern Cluckus in the forums. This is what he said for his explanation. Originally, there were no custom paints. Later, they opened it up so you could place a TGA in the paint folder and release templates. But no way for you to share your paint other than by emailing it to folks. The limitations were all to do with the legal risk. That's where the guys that do trading paints stepped in. They were the first to start a file share site. This solved the problem for everybody. So originally, it was just a, a forum you know, a website where you could go and download your own paints, but then they made us, you know, the software where it's automated and, and it's, it is what it is today. And this actually goes back to like um, the papyrus games and NASCAR racing in 2003, because I was in the league for that game. And in order for everybody to see your custom 
uh, paint job, you know, you had to share it within the group that the the group that was there, you know, the the league, and they had a file that you had to download, and it downloaded everybody's paints that was in the league, so you could see their cars. Well, you know, which is which worked fine for a league, but like now with iRacing, when you have um, open series and even practices where you just meet, meet up with random people, there's no way to have that communication with their, with their uh, paints. And that's basically what Trading Paints does. And, and the reason Trading Paints is there is because, yeah, if, if it all went through iRacing, then there, there would be some legal issues that they would have to, uh, have to dodge. Whereas if it's done with this third, par, par, third party uh, file sharing site, it, 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 um, it's around it, I guess. Do you run trading paints, McKenzie? Uh, yeah, I do run trading paints. Uh, and, and since then, trading. The... Oh, sorry, go ahead. sorry, mate. I was going to say since tra since then, you know, trading paints has really gone a long way as far as um as far as what they offer. You know, uh, they didn't really have their own paint functions that they do that they do now when they first started. Um, you know, it was pretty much all file sharing, but um, they've actually you know expanded what they do. Right. They got a paid product. I don't, you know, I paid for it the first year, but I don't pay for it now, but the paid product allows you to have a, a day paint screen paint. I can't talk a day paint and a night paint. So like if you're at Charlotte during the day, it's a, it's this color, but if you're at Charlotte at the night, it's a different one. So it's all automated. You can have different paints for different leagues uh, for that are specific to a league. Um, so if the paid version is pretty cool. Um, also, the guy who runs it is named Steve Luvender, and if you follow NASCAR, you might have heard that name uh, in on the NASCAR Twitter. Uh, he writes for NASCAR.com sometimes, articles, um, but yeah, he's the main guy at Trading Paints. It's him and one other guy who's like a, a database developer. Is that Brian Simpson? Didn't Brian Simpson big in the Trading Paints? No, I think Brian Simpson is the uh, paint guy on the iRacing side. He's the one who do, uh, puts out all the templates and that kind of thing. Okay, yeah, that's that's probably right. Well, speaking of templates, he's going to have to be working on a new template because it looks like we have a new car coming out. iRacing has tweeted a sneak peek of the upcoming, uh, upcoming Formula 1600. And it also has an intro video for the new Circuit de Jerez or Circuit de Jerez. Is this the this Formula like a Four? Formula V. Yeah, this is definitely one of the lower end entry level Formula cars. This yeah, we speculated that it was the Formula Ford, Donnie, right? Yeah, but I think we couldn't match that airbox to a Formula Ford, and I think that's where we were leaning. But yeah, so this is a yeah, another lower tiered uh, open wheel car. So this would go Formula V, this car, Skip Barber, and then the USF, or would you flop this with the Skip Barber car? It's it is one step above the Formula V would be my guess because it looks like it, but like you said, it's got those air boxes. Now the video they put out is fascinating because it's a, a track that's not finished. Uh, the grandstands, the trees, and all that they have no color. They just have a, a shape only, kind of a white. Everything looks like it's covered in snow. So this is actually a SCCA car. Um, it started in 2011, um, and uh, which which makes sense why I didn't haven't heard of it before because when I was looking at SCCA it was before then. But um, 
but yeah, so it's it's a fairly recent addition to the SCCA. Um, but it's running a uh, uh, 1600 cc um, motor, 5.1.5 uh, liter um, Honda HPD um, engine. So that's that's what it runs. Here's another interesting detail. You just skip around to something to like 30 seconds and pause it and take a look at the surface of the tire. That's not a slick. Oh, it's grooved. It's got a groove up the middle and slots off each each side of the groove. Yeah, that's that's like a potential uh, what rain and rain tire that can be used on dry. Either that or they were just going ahead and testing the rain tire. Another comment I heard about the Jerez track is why this track? Apparently, there are no active series that run on it, is what somebody said. It's like a dormant track. Well, we've done, we've done the same. We've actually revived a, a dormant NASCAR track in the same way. Yeah, I guess that's true. I wish they had gotten a chance to scan um, Memphis beforehand. All right, so Mike, you have been constantly speculating who is the money behind ESL and and all this coming up that's pulling all these guys in. Well, now we know. Yeah, it wasn't me who figured it out either. It was one of our listeners. He put it in the Discord. I, I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was. But uh, we got an article here that says, pending regulatory approval, a holding company owned by Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund, which is the government of Saudi Arabia, Arabia they have purchased the esports event organizer ESL Gaming and tournament platform called Faceit. According to the Sports Business Journal, the price for both companies was $1.5 billion, with a B. As part of the acquisition, the two companies will merge into the ESL Faceit Group and plans to combine their technology and expertise to create the ultimate platform for competitive gaming. Now, so this goes there's beyond the money. racing, yeah. This goes beyond uh, sim racing. Right. I think the ESL R1 series, which is sim racing, uh, is just caught up in this. Uh, this is just a, a facet of what uh, ESL gaming is, which is a much bigger thing uh, in esports, you know, Call of Duty and that kind of thing. This, When I read this, it reminded me a lot of that new um, professional golf tournament in Saudi Arabia that's just throwing crazy money at golf pro golfers to come join their their league and uh you know without having a um without having a history to it you know so um that's it, re it really reminded me of that and there's been some controversy about it you know whether you know I'm not trying to keep keep politics out of it but you know saudi arabia has uh has not been um highly regarded among a lot of nations and uh you know some of the golfers are, are being ostracized for for taking you know taking the the saudi arabia money I'm not not commenting on it either way i'm just saying uh, that what's been happening and i'm wondering if that's this would bleed over to some of those um professional gamers i also think that you know, Saudi Arabia's wealth is in oil. And oil, you know, globally is probably on the on a downhill slide rather than an uphill slide, you know, in in demand and use and that kind of thing. So I, I see what you know, what I see is Saudi Arabia is trying to, you know, 
okay, what are we going to invest in that's going to be our next oil? You know, our, you know, what's going to be the future of our company, our, our country, and, and where is our wealth going to come from in the future? So what they're doing is they're spending their wealth, buying up, like you said, uh, sports entities like PGA. You know, they're, they're basically doing a PGA takeover. Uh, they're buying everything related to esports you know, and, and so forth. So I think that's what's happening here. Now, how does Rensport, that sim, fit into this? I don't know. Uh, obviously, ESL R1 and ESL Gaming, they decided to use that particular model uh, or that sim, but why? I don't know. Are they funding it on the side or directly? I have no idea, but uh, I'm sure we'll find out. The biggest concern I was going to bring was why in the world is a government jumping into this? But you actually kind of sort of answered that question and that, you know, they, they control all their wealth. They're, they're definitely not um, a uh, capital society, right? So it's it's all run by the government. And um, so it, I guess it sort of makes sense. But this it still just kind of makes my head explode to think of a government buying into gaming. Um. This I might have linked the wrong video in the next part of this, but I wanted to talk about Rensport a little bit because it's related. Uh, Dave Cam did a video uh, telling us what he thinks of the Rensport product. Um, and just recently today, Traxian.gg put out a video of a guy who did a video while he was at the, the competition, um, the ESL R1. He he got to drive the sim and he gave his impressions. Uh, he also talked with that one uh, famous YouTuber, Emily, and she gave her impressions. Like she said, you know, when you're in the car and you're driving, it's fun, but everything else is a little rough around the edges was her feedback on it. Um, the other guy who was making the video, you know, he, he kind of said the same thing. The driving is fun, uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Well, if that's the case, they've at least got the right thing first, right? I wonder how their UI works. They're still fetching my results for my standings. <laughs> All right, back to the open wheel side of things. We've got another event. Donnie, I'm going to toss this one over to you. How did this uh, Skip Barber race go? After a solid debut season in the Skip Barber Formula iRacing Series for 2022, Harley Houghton Got a step closer to a grand prize at the end of the season, a full-time ride in the 2023 Skip Barber Formula Race Series with a sweep of both races at Coda on Thursday night, pulling him within one point of Diago Pinto for the championship lead with two events left. Yeah, so uh, Diago Pinto is also leading in the uh, in the uh, Porsche Tag Heuer season. Um, so, you know, he's definitely one of the better road racers around. And to be honest with you, I'm I'm rooting for him over Houghton. Nothing against Houghton, but he actually races GT5 cars in the real world, and and I don't think it would be fun for a guy who has already got a real ride to win this Skip Barber ride. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Yeah, it'll be pretty cool. Yeah, I'd much rather go to an actual sim racer than somebody who's already got a lot of real world experience. Uh, but man, this is a two point two points between the top two drivers with two races to go for, for again, one of the coolest prizes in, in sim sports. Yeah. Exciting. It'll be fun to see who does it. All right. It's time for a little rookie hazing. So McKenzie, uh, have you ever had any injuries in, uh, iRacing? Uh, no, I haven't. I wouldn't say I've necessarily had any injuries. 
Um, I had my had my uh my hand cramp up on me one time though, and that was got pretty hard to steer after a little bit of that. Well, what do you think of this video from Matt Malone? That's next up. I don't know if yeah. you can actually call this a sim racing injury, though. I mean, this is not from the actual racing. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Does this qualify as a sim race injury? Does it look like it might have been done on purpose? I don't know. Okay, so for the audio listeners, I'll describe uh, what we're looking at here. Uh, Matt Malone is on a, in a road course race or something, and he's going like he's going to scrub the tires, and and he, he quickly shifts his, uh, his wheel back and forth, back and forth, and he's kind of jostling his head around at the same time. And as he does, his headset microphone slaps right up into his eyeball. Uh, he just like flings that thing around and boom, it goes right into his eye. And he's like, injury. <laughs> Poking the eye from his microphone, boom. That's the first one time I've seen an eyeball injury in eye racing. I've I've heard of thumbs and stuff like that, but this is a different one. I, it legit counts, though. I mean, it, it was because he was swinging the, the wheel so hard. Uh, I don't know if he he was goofing off. Yeah, that's the thing. I thought he was goofing up off, maybe playing to the camera a little bit. You know, making it interesting for the viewers who are watching him on his stream. Right, playing to the camera. I think he was saying how uh, with the direct drive wheel, you can kind of just whip it back and forth and not have to worry about it. And that's how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> he got it right in the eyeball, man. That was funny. So I want to know why is his microphone so floppy? Was it the microphone? Was it the mic or was it the whole set was swinging around on his head? All right. That's a title idea. Floppy microphone. No, it's gonna it's gotta be floppy Mike, and then we spell Mike M I K E. Absolutely. Oh, that's terrible. Sorry. All right. So somebody we definitely always have our eye on as a sim racer who's turned to a NASCAR driver is Roger Carruth, and he was a subject of the USA Today article that's documented his path to the pro racer uh, status. Yeah. So this is a USA Today article. So this is getting to the. The top of the heap when it comes to news, I guess, uh, old school newspaper here, but just reiterates the, the story we've heard throughout the last couple of years. But uh, according to him and on Twitter, I don't know if it's yesterday or today, but he said this was uh, the best article he's read about this particular story regarding him. So if you get a chance, yeah. look it up. And he's had quite a few articles about him in the past, but um, they've always been, you know, uh, sim racing based, you know, niche type of niche type of papers or, or websites. But, you know, this is this is a, a, a paper that goes, to, you know, everybody and uh, who might not have sim racing on the radar at all. So really interesting that they they went to this platform. It's really cool. Now, this is interesting. Is he actually still in college? Because it's saying he's current, still currently a student having a full time sim and uh, part time real life car racing. And you still got time for schooling. Is That's that's pretty hectic. Yeah, I think William Byron did that right with uh, Liberty. That was still part of the deal. It's a pretty good uh, thorough article that really kind of gives his history, you know, from the beginning. You cut out there. Well, this. Yeah, Mike, your mic's not working. No. Now it is. 
All right, but it's uh, that's pretty impressive though that he has that uh, that much time management. Probably mostly online schooling these days. You can do it that way anyway. This next question, Mike is always asking, "What is your next upgrade?" And it's being asked basically by Twitter on or being by iRacing on Twitter. Yeah, I thought we would ask around the group. Uh, what are you guys are going to get next? Well, my upgrade came in the mail five minutes ago. My son brought it in. But I got the Gomez uh, GSL GXL Pro without the screen. It's not so nice. uh, my formula wheel going forward. Whoa. What color scheme is it? All black. All business. <laughs> it's exciting. So short story on that. Um, when I got the, the same coaches pedals, I had the old Fanatec wheelbase for like a week. And then I got the SimuCube. Uh, so all my lap times are coming down based off most likely the pedal performance, but I had to use my sequential shifter, my Fanatec and drive one-handed. So I drove the whole 24 hours of Daytona one-handed and I w did not even think about having paddles on my, my Fanatec podium. That's then I got rid of it. Uh, so now I'm going to bolt this on this weekend and just see if my lap times improved over what I was previously running with the, the wheel and the, and the pedals and see how that goes. All right, Brian. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, my next thing is going to be, I'm, I'm still waiting for that BDH, uh, bazooka shifter to become, um, they've been, they've been talking about making it, um, uh, switchable to a sequential. So you can use it both as an H pattern and a sequential shifter. Um, so I really, I really like to keep, I don't want to get rid of H pattern altogether and just get a dedicated, um, sequential shifter. Cause I, I still like doing Arca races and, you know, it's just cool using an H pattern shifter. It feels cool. It feels old school. And, uh, so I don't want to lose that, but I want to be able to have the sequential shifter for, um, for the cup cars for all the new races in the cup cars and uh right now i i'm i'm waiting to see if they come out with that version um i think it's going to be awesome because they, they got a really awesome shifter for h pattern and if it if it's convertible to sequential uh, i'll definitely jump on it as soon as i as soon as i see it's available now you know my my fanatec h pattern shifter technically switches to sequential but every time i've done it it screws up something stops working after a while so i just leave it in h pattern and i leave it like that and just use paddle shifters for my oval races but i really want to get a sequential shifter the proper one and uh i just don't i want to do it in a combo unit i don't want um i don't know if i'll be have the room in my rig for a, a sequential and h pattern you know i'm curious it's funny Sorry, that's funny because I have the o the opposite problem. I can't go back into H pattern mode because it throws the wrong gears, and uh, so I'm only in sequential right now. Um, my my next move will probably be um, I'm staying in touch with Lawrence and gonna I'm trying to get in on the on the ground floor even on the design of their sequential shifter. In fact, when we saw that box with the button box, I showed that to him last week and I said, "Hey, put some buttons on your shifter because that's just a really good place for." for buttons yeah that's a no no brainer i have an honest like how how much longer is it going to take before xfinity and the trucks start to get the sequential because i believe that garage 56 car has pdk if i'm not wrong with with its shifting and i think that's going to trickle down the cup eventually um so i'm curious how much longer xfinity and the trucks run the h pattern because i think that's the only reason i use my h pattern is for the truck and well, Arca sometimes, like Brian said, but I'm just curious. I, I don't know what's left out there for the H pattern. 
with H pattern. I don't see a need for it myself. Um, you know, the sequential works good on any car. I run the B car. I, I try my best to whatever I'm driving to have it replicated in my surroundings. I wouldn't mind having it, but I don't care that I don't. Nah, I get it. Mackenzie, what do you, what's next on your purchase list? If anything? Yeah, my, my next would definitely be to upgrade my wheel and pedals, get away from the Logitech G29 and go with probably a direct drive and some, some better pedals. That's, that's for sure. I am with Brian. I do like I do like running the H pattern shifter. So if I upgraded the wheel and pedals, I'd probably probably get one that has the H pattern and sequential, because I, I I like using the shifter to shift rather than the paddles. Yeah, pedals first. That's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, we had a video from Dave Cam who who emphasized that you know if you have the if if you're wondering which one to go with first, the one that's going to make your the most improvement on your on your performance is your pedals by far and you need a stable rig to hold those pedals too that they kind of go hand in hand really yeah that's what i was figuring i i figured the wheel would be would be a little less of a a performance difference i figured the pedals would have the the bigger performance change by upgrading those you got to be careful when i joined the team the team spent the money for me so good good luck once you join the team, man, the money starts to flow. So be careful. Until the equipment section. I think I, I think I wasn't on the team when I bought my V3s, but I actually ran V3 pedals with a Logitech rim for a long time and didn't upgrade the rim until the Logitech rim uh, and base just finally gave out and died. I ran it till it died. I'm going to buy uh, next a new computer uh, with a new graphics card, um, you know, a new build, a new computer build. And I know it's going to be 3000 plus. So I'm right now in the process of saving, uh, get my little bonus from work in the next couple of weeks and going to stash that away. I don't expect to do a computer build until maybe summer or late summer. Uh, so that's my target. Um, right now, uh, as far as other stuff, I'm good to go. I mean, I, I really don't feel like I need to buy anything else at the moment. The other thing I was thinking about, um, was maybe getting a sound system and getting, you know, I really, I really like what Mike's done with his, uh, his loud sound. And if I can, if I can get some races in where I can get away with it, I think it would be really cool. Cause if you have company over and they and they want to race on it, you know it's not the same when they're on headphones as they are in the room shaking and stuff like that. Yeah, wait till she goes shopping and run a race, you know. And yeah, I think I'll do uh, probably the haptics. Realistically, my next project computer's almost done. Let's got to throw some RAM sticks in, and then I got two computers. Um, probably haptics. I'll go with haptics. I you know butt kickers. Everyone says it. It's like the best thing is for immersion. I mean, when I added the one under my seat, right under my butt, I mean, I literally bolted it to the bottom of the, the chair. It, it gives that vibration of the engine. You know, I just love that, that it shakes the whole thing. I just added the pedal rumblers. That was a, that was a pretty big upgrade. Was that the, the, um, the one we put on the show a couple months ago? Yes, sir. Yep, uh, Steve was on talking about them, and I ordered them that night. Uh, that's right. How long did it take you to get them? Forever. 
Yeah, it's like, I think it's just like one dude working on them. So I ordered them back in October and I got them the end of January. Now, Tony, does it look messy? Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine that you know, you're running wires to the top of each pedal. And I mean, it's going to look messy, right? With all the wires. No, negative. Um, he's got a very slick build. Um, they basically have like, I don't know what you call them, like an offset motor. Um like what's in a you know like a playstation controller although these ones are a lot more beefed up and he's and there's two motors per pedal in a very nice 3d printed um uh frame that bolts right to your specific pedal because he makes them specific for each one and it's one cord running off each one into a control box that um you know you can kind of mount off to the to the side so no, um, there, it's 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 a braided cord, so it looks nice. It's easy to tuck away and keep out of the way. Um, it, you can, it, it's it's very clean. And that's an inexpensive way to get some some of that feedback, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, not so much for Canadians because we get screwed on all the cool tech stuff. Um, but yeah, like. Uh, this is definitely one of the cheaper upgrades for sure. All right. I know exactly what I would put as my sponsor for this next car if if uh, if I ever end up running it. Um, because it reminds me of an old commercial. I do believe that I would have to have Miss Cleo actually be the sponsor on the car. Yeah. So there's a picture tweeted out by iRacing. Uh, with just the word Clio, and it shows a, a small sedan-type car. And uh, somebody told uh, told us uh, in the team chat, it's a Renault car. Renault. 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 Kind of looks like a hatchback-type thing, almost like a rally car. Yeah, I, it, I used it, to run this in project cars, too, obviously on a controller back then. But uh, it's like one of the beginning cars you run in that ser uh, sim, but or whatever we'll call it. It's just a little tiny car, probably a four-cylinder. It reminds me of the uh, the car my son bought, the Hyundai Veloster. Pretty cool. So we got a new car coming. Uh, it, it, I mean, week 13 is coming, guys. I, I thought two weeks out? This is a week 13 I do not look forward to. Because rain. <laughs> I think we no, might get rain. because Lou's website. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's right. Have you been using the UI? Hell no. Oh, boy. Good luck. I have. To... Now, I'll digress a second. Now, Greg was running the Daytona 500 the other night, and I wanted a spot for him. And I purposely tried to stay in the UI to figure out how I could ghost his session. And it wouldn't let me. I, I mean, I couldn't figure it out. Like, I, I clicked on his name, and it gave me a spot, but it had, a, like, a circle with a line through it. Like, it wouldn't let me click it. And so I literally couldn't figure it out. I had to go to the website to ghost the session. You know, time is flying. And I was, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a forum post about this, like maybe the complaints, what we want to see with the UI, but we almost need to dedicate some time on the show in a couple of weeks uh, about the, the whole transition that we're about to experience. But um, you still have to use the website. And I think uh, it's going to stick around for a while for like the small things we're still going to need. Well, buying the content, they'll always redirect you to the website to make a purchase. Um, statistics, as far as I know, still don't work completely right. So they're probably going to have those on there. You still can't tell on a hosted race, can you, whether or not it's practice or just race or just qual or whatever? 
No, that was my problem with the original majors. We ran the Predator. I couldn't find it um, um, for the longest time. The other thing I saw in the forums as I was looking for stuff in the last week or so is new people asking, how do I run the Daytona 500? Where is it in the UI? And, and people, you know, like a big race like that, it's not intuitive. Like, you, oh, you got to bring up a series list. You got to find the NASCAR iRacing series open. You got to click it. You got to scroll down. Oh, there it is. You, you know, there's got to be a better way to, to, to show, you know, these big events to the newer people without them really knowing, oh, you got to drill in. Like, you got to click like 12 times to get to it. And that's not really a UI thing because the website doesn't do that either. That, that that is actually a really good idea for a homepage is a direct link to that series. Right. Instead of having to go through other clicks. Yeah. Yeah. Good points on both. I'm looking at the UI right now and you're right. There's, there's plenty of room. It looks good. It has potential. Like you can throw a Daytona 500 fixed and open banner up there that they can click on. Um, it has your recent results that'll take you to No, It'll take it. Yeah. It looks like the a open won't take it to NIS, but yeah, they uh, they have potential for the UI, the, the main page, like you're saying, quick links to big events. The reason you're only seeing a open results is to see an IS, you have to go back to season one. Even though we're in season, no, we're about to start season one, aren't we? Yeah. No, we're in season one now. About to end. Yeah. So yeah, NIS will only show up when you're looking at season one, at least on the website web page. So Podcast the website is... Oh, go ahead. I was just asked, like, so the website is going away after this? That's what they said. Yeah. You can't launch a session from the website. After right. I think the, the website will still be there, but you just can't launch sessions from it. Oh, okay. That makes no difference to me. I've been using the UI for uh, quite some time, strictly the UI. Do you have any have loading any... problems with the UI? I have had zero loading issues, not once. So I haven't had any in to, to launch a sim. I haven't had any loading issues in a while, but to load the actual UI, um, sometimes it'll say reconnect and I got to click that. Uh, that'll happen like two or three times and I'll get in. But once I'm in the UI, I haven't really experienced any issues in, in those regards lately. I don't know if that's when I, I moved iRacing to a whole different uh, SSD that it kind of fixed everything, but so far so good. No, I've never had a, a loading issue, either loading into the UI or loading um, a session from the UI. And at first, I was a little like, you know, just kind of thrown aside as to the layouts and stuff. But yeah, I've, I've gotten used to it. I actually kind of prefer, I've kind of gone back to kind of look through the website and, um, you know, unpopular opinion on the show, but I prefer the UI over the website. It's growing. You may mention it, McKenzie, but what are you using, website or UI? Uh, I've used the UI right since I joined iRacing. I never actually used the website. That's that's probably a good good way to go. That way, you never know what you're missing. <laughs> now, do you go to a website for uh, like to check your series standing since you only run official? Uh, no, I actually never even really knew you could do that i never found that on the ui so yeah the only thing i really go to the website is is to like purchase new content man you could be a champion and you have no idea yeah i guess that's possible you got to go check it out series stats
podcast housekeeping, leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform to make it easier for more listeners to find the podcast. Mention the podcast to your fellow drivers so they don't miss out. We do appreciate it. Join the conversation on our Discord and our website, iRacersLounge.com. We are, in, we are in regular rotation at the Performance Motorsports Network and iRock TV. All right, Tony, it's time to talk some fantasy. Well, boy, oh boy, back for another year. It kicked off, and it looks like uh, Team Tifosi started off in real good fashion, but I do believe we got one fella in our top 10. We do. Steve Allen made it tonight. The, the rest of us, um, I think we're all out by uh, about like 10 laps to go or five laps to go. You know, it was typical restrictor plate. Um, Mike, you were leading at one point. I was leading. My son was leading. Uh, Tony, I think, was leading at one point. Um, yeah, we all had, you know, restrictor plate racing. We all shuffled around quite a bit. Now, I also remember last week that I was saying a little something about you know, maybe, uh, you know, putting Jimmy Johnson or uh, Travis Pastrana in there. And Mike, you scoffed at me pretty quickly, but um, I know they didn't uh, necessarily get the, the best of finishes, but um, right at the end, uh, both those guys were looking pretty good. Yeah, Pastrana finished 11th. Well, Stanhouse won. Yeah, I had Stanhouse too. So, um, but the rest of my picks were terrible, I guess, or or they just didn't pan out. Um, and I was watching the race so I could make my garage adjustment when um, Tyler Reddick got wrecked early. So I switched, swapped him out, and it didn't matter. I still, rest of my guys were terrible or, or got caught up in wrecks. Yeah, I had Stenhouse or McDowell. I was going back and forth who was going to be my garage driver, and I went with McDowell. So ah. I, thought, I thought Recky was going to Recky, but he didn't. He uh, he was Ricky. Oh, yeah. I looked at who's running dead last on the point, and it's none other than Mr. Greg Hectus. <laughs> yeah. He was our leader last year, right? Didn't he finish top? I mean, Daytona is just seriously, it's a throw of the dice. You never know what's going to happen. You can pick, you could you can really mess that up real easy without being your fault. Right. Yeah. So, the, the real season starts this week with California. You know, before you knew you change me, your picks, I believe I won auto club last year. It's one of the two or three races in the beginning, uh, but we'll see. Probably no qualifying. We're probably not going to see him on track until uh, the green flag drops on Sunday. So it's going to be another kind of difficult weekend to pick. So you're going out to sit in the rain. Both races, hopefully. Absolutely. <laughs> so is third place Dwayne MacArthur from the OBRL? I mean, it's got to be, right? Or somebody who's joking about him, right? Dwayne blew a tranny. Is that, is that what that says? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> transmission. He means transmission. Yeah, transmission, of course. Now, I think um, somebody in the, in the comments and social media said that the person leading was his wife, I think he said. I forget who it was. Of course. And then Justin Laird, a former teammate, uh, he's running second for Laird Racing. Yeah, I definitely wanted to comment on the creativity of uh, you know some of the the names people are putting in. And uh, there's, I know there's some more down in the list, but we'll wait and see if they you know kind of float to the top. But we got like Boozer's Motorsports. That's pretty cool. 
uh trick dickle he's back that's always a fun one uh nascar jedi 2 almost want to think that's uh uh scales or someone that scales no knows but um yeah definitely got some uh familiar faces and we got we got some new ones and what do we have i think we we're about 60 or just just a little over 60 uh people that uh joined in for for daytona one of these names is a little intriguing it's called two girls one amigo <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so who do we got for for california who's gonna who's gonna be the guy like you know that jumps out of the gate and just starts you know taking things by storm on the west coast swing anybody or Hendrix, we got alex bowman he finished top five so he might start up front uh he's won there before so it's very possible. Bowman's usually go pretty good at the beginning of the seasons too. With Chase and uh, Bowman and anybody, Hendricks, Kyle Larson, you know, I, I, that's my what I'm going to say for California. And it, it shouldn't be as bad as last year. I remember sitting on pit road when the cars were going off for their first practice, and like Harvick and a few of the other guys, they crashed before they even came back around. Uh, first real test with that new car on a, on a real track. So, uh, yeah, now they got it figured out, so it shouldn't be so bad. Tony, question for you, buddy. Um, if you if you park somebody in the garage before the end of the race, you switch your drivers, does that count as somebody you used? Negative. No. Okay. So, so if you switch somebody out in the garage, it doesn't count as being somebody you used already? That's right. Yeah, only if he's up in your lineup. In your top five at the end of the race, I guess. Uh, yeah, by, by the end of the second stage. Okay. Okay, cool. Because I like the guy I switched out of my garage. So, uh, I, you know, I, I mentioned I had Tyler Reddick and I don't want to use up all his stuff on stupid plate racing. No, no, you're you're good to go. You still got 10 uses of Reddick. So just for the record, even though I'm not the best at pronouncing everything anyways, there's no S in Hendrick Motorsports. So the X. Unless Rick, there's multiple Hendricks. Yeah, I said the Hendrix cars, right? Living large or strapped for cash, it's all good at Metro Ford Chicago. Metro Ford delivers to you. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, we have over 160 vehicles in stock. Good credit, no credit, doesn't matter. We offer easy financing and guaranteed credit approval. Visit eMetroFord.com or call the owner, Patrick Milligan, 773-983-3166. Metro Ford of Chicago, serving Chicagoland and beyond for over 35 Five years. Will this computer run iRacing? Not now. Okay, it's time to kick off hardware software. We are going to feature the next, the first thing before we talk about that. Uh, thank you again to Metro Ford for sponsoring the segment. All right, let's kick it off though with the Asetek Forte, and we have a large number of videos here i kind of lost count oh yeah yeah Assetek sim sports uh reviews are out guys in full force and uh you know i think overall the reception has been very good for this wheelbase uh in fact Asetek is uh even putting out some tongue-in-cheek uh, social media post uh, about just how good those reviews have been. 
including Will Ford over at Boosted Media saying this is the best force feedback he's ever felt. Very nice. I wish the wheelbase looked a little bit better, but uh, yeah, it's good. But this company did come out a couple weeks ago and indicate that they have uh, supply chain issues, right? With the quick release stuff, yeah. And so one boosted media, uh, boosted media's video, the title that he called it the SimuCube Killer, comparing it to the SimuCube Pro and Ultimate. Well, it comes with a question mark, and that's literally how you clickbait things is you just throw a really controversial title up and put a question mark on it. A lot of the videos talk about slew rate, which is a technical term for, I think, how often um, the the software refreshes. The the higher the number, the better. Um, the slew, slew rate on the SimiCube is quite well, quite good. Um, and, and I've heard conflicting reports as I've gone through these videos that the Invicta Forte uh, base actually surpasses SimiCube, and there's others that say they did, they don't actually. So there's some confusion about that. The other thing is Lawrence, uh, I can't pronounce his last name, his video, he indicated a problem with the quick release that if you lift, kind of lift heavily on the wheel, it will just pop right off the bait um, because their quick release is really unique where it's got a little uh, lever that you, you can just really release with one finger and then lift the entire uh, wheel off the quick release. And so, um, so there was some concern about that. If you put enough force in it, it would just pop off. The other concern is Will Ford said uh, he's concerned about the longevity of that quick release that that finger uh, release is so it looks kind of fragile and maybe it will wear. Um, so that was uh, one concern he had of uh, not very, of not very many uh, with this base. Mike, what did my buddy Carl Gosling have to say about it? Uh, he loved it as well. I mean, it, it's a buy from everybody. Everyone says buy it. Um, there's a few little rough edges. Like if you're going to front mount it, you have to literally take the thing apart um there's the remote kill switch has bare wire showing uh for for that and that was a little bit of a concern the fact that they allow third-party wheels uh natively um is a big plus for this uh brand over the moza so i was just going to ask about that whether you could mount other wheels on it because it's yes. such a unique such a unique uh um, quick release. So I guess there's must be some kind of uh, adapter or something that you can use. Well, at the Sim Racing Expo, they had a table where they showed like cube controls and Gomez and all these wheels uh, that were able to attach to this. So they have some kind of, uh, like you said, adapter or something. Dave Cam had a video on this as well, and uh, he really liked it. He was testing it out last week on the uh, Porsche series. So all the videos, the, the driving part, everyone says the force feedback feels good, better, better than SimiCube, better than Fanatec, you know, but it's all subjective, of course, but I keep hearing the word it's better. Um, and so that's pretty impressive to tell you the truth. If I was looking at a base right now, after watching all these videos, this would probably be the, on, the, on the short list for sure you know, Cube or this. Um, 
but you know, like there were some concerns about longevity with the quick release, you know, so maybe you wait and, and see how that plays out. But man, if you're looking at direct drive, uh, this is pretty neat. Now, the other thing that was neat is the upgrade path. Like you can buy the cheaper base they offer and get in at a pretty cheap rate. And then later down the road, buy the, uh, the OCB board and a bigger power supply and basically turn your cheaper base into the better base, you know, without having to buy a whole new thing, a whole new motor, you know? All right. Well, we've talked about it a few times in the past that SimLab is now breaking into other areas than just the rigs, right? And what we have now is an Instagram post from their page showing their new XB1 load cell. And and that says that it will elevate your drift and rally game with precision inputs. So it's a load cell handbrake. Looks pretty nice. Yeah, I like the look of it a lot. I do too. I always like matching up, you know, products uh, of the same brand. Um, and this would look really nice on my P1X. I couldn't find a price on it. Were you able to find one, Mike? Uh, no. Uh, it does say pre-orders start next month, but no, no word on the price. Uh, it's made out, you know, it's got the 150 load cell, 150 kilogram load cell, and it's a two-stage damper feel, and you can uh, inter with interchangeable elastomers. So that means you can adjust the uh, stiffness, I guess. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I think that's what like Fanatec uses for their brake up upgrade is those things. So as an American racer, I just don't know if I need a handbrake. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty important in rally and I don't know, maybe other disciplines. But but when I heard from Mitchell DeYoung, you know, when he was running rally that, you know what, I never use a handbrake and, and I'm, I'm quick as dirt, you know, then maybe I don't really need a handbrake. If he doesn't even use one and he's quick as dirt, uh, then why do I need one? I'm slow on rally without one. I had to buy a cheap Amazon one just to get quicker. I honestly Task don't know how they do it. Use it. I don't know how they do it unless they have the force feedback off. Cause that's obviously a lot of wheel motion prior entering a corner and braking. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just have to spend time in practice, but I couldn't figure it out. So I bought a cheap, uh, like $80 Amazon handbrake. All right, we're going to stay in the, the handheld hardware area, and we what we have next is another buying guide. This time it's for Sim Shifters. It's posted by OC Racing. Yeah, pretty nice little list of uh, available shifters out there. And of course, not a, uh, a, a full list, but a list that this guy has owned. And um, of course, he starts with the, the Logitech, you know, that comes with the G27, uh, the TH8A Thrustmaster, a very popular one as well. Um, and then, uh, of course, the one that's referred to as the generic USB shifter that sold on Amazon for 70 bucks. He had a lot of good things to say about that. Yeah, so amongst this list, in my house, we have three of them right now. And you know, I'm really impressed with the one that Bobby recommended to us about six months ago, and that was the SHH one. And that's a 3D printed housing I believe the knob is 3D printed as well. It might not be, but um, it's pretty pretty good. Uh, it's a quick twist, and you're into sequential. Then, you know, back to H pattern if you need it. Yeah, ninety nine bucks for that. Uh, the next one up was the Thrustmaster TSS Sparco handbrake and sequential at 
somewhere to two to three hundred dollars, he said. And then the final one on the list was the Fanatec Club Sport 260. Isn't that the one that's given you trouble, David? Yep. Yeah, I think it's given us all trouble. Yep, me too. Tyler's had problems with it. Yeah, everything else on Fanatec has run great for me, but that shifter has been a has been terrible from the beginning. Have you guys taken it apart? Have you taken it apart? Yeah, I have. So it's I very. The build isn't very impressive. I've had to actually send this one back. Um, there's a switch down at the bottom that controls the the sequential that goes out. And if I knew anything about it at the time, it's an easy switch yourself to replace. But the the build on the inside, compared to some of these other shifters, it's uh, I don't know, lacks uh, creativity, I guess. And the, I had to re reposition the Hall Effect sensor, and I had to uh, clean off the circuit board and all that stuff. And it ran great for a month, and then it started messing up again. And I was like, eh, I'm not taking it apart again. Yeah, if you take it apart, you got to be careful because the lead, the wire going to the board isn't very long. So you can easily just rip that thing off, and then you're on to soldering. But hey, man, I saw Fanatec all over the Formula One game I was playing, so I thought that was uh, the best of the best. It's marketing. I've been real happy with their wheels. Yeah, so. You know, I've actually heard a lot of people compliment their wheels, and I was going to go that direction uh, before I didn't. But, um, but, yeah, I only hear a lot of good things about the wheels. I mean, I see you buying, <laughs> looking or buying all these expensive $1,500 formula wheels, and I've got, I've got the, the, uh, their, form, their standard formula wheel for less than $500 with the advanced pedal module, and it does everything every one of those wheels does. And, you know it's not it's just not missing anything compared to what they have and in some cases it has even more other than a view screen and um brand that's about it speaking of view screens this is not something you necessarily need if you're running vr but uh donnie you might like this if you want to throw a dashboard up on some of your equipment yeah the asher racing dashboard and a four or five inch will be available on february 21st what's today so two days ago Go to their site. You can check it out um, on their online shop, and their link will be in the bio for this Twitter post. You can also go to our show notes to find the link as well. But a couple of dashboards coming from Asher Racing. They're the makers of what are considered to be some of the better formula wheels on the market. But if you're looking for a dashboard, these look pretty pretty decent, straightforward. They're renders, what we're looking at. But um, if that's what they're going to be, then they look pretty decent. Well, they got the LED uh, lights uh, embedded in the top and along the edge. Um, does say Asher Racing across the front bottom though it is branded nice little housing you know it's a little wider at the top where the LEDs are got so a nice look like, to uh, it sorry Mike looks like uh, there's the 4 inch version is uh, 369 euros and the 5 inch is 429 euros so uh, it's at your price point on that doesn't doesn't show like a real easy place for you to mount this. I don't know how you would mount it just yet. Hopefully they have a, have something for you to do. And I'm assuming it uses like a sim hub or something like that for their telemetry. I guess. Yeah, I would assume it's sim hub. Yeah, it does indicate it does have a, a carbon mount included for Fanatec, SimiCube, and so forth. Yeah, Asher Racing has a great formula wheel that was on my short list for a long time. And uh, at the Sim Racing Expo, they announced a partnership with, a, I think, McLaren. And uh, they, they're going to have some really nice wheels later this year from McLaren. 
All right, Mike, we had a whole list of reviews on one wheelbase. This one is just one wheelbase, but we or just one review. But we have we do have something from um, uh, for the Moza R5 asking another one of those question mark titles is the Moza R5 the best entry direct drive? Yeah, Lawrence Dusawa asked that question in his video, and and he th- he seems to think so. I mean, because you get. You get that small, uh, you know, direct drive base. You get a wheel. You get pedals with it, um, and, and it's a package. And so, you know, somebody who's trying to look for their first, you know, direct drive, you know, this might be a, a good option. It's inexpensive. Yeah, this is actually one of the. Th- this is one of the sets I was looking at possibly upgrading to. Mm-hmm. The only thing I worry about is the the five newton meters of torque in that. If I just want more right away, so that'd be the one thing I'd be worried about getting this bundle. Well, and and like the difference between this brand and the one we talked about before is that one. Like before, if you buy the entry level one, you can upgrade it without a lot of cost. And so, um, but man, if, if price is everything to you and you have a budget. This is a great price. I mean, it says five ninety nine U.S. dollars for everything I said: the wheel, the base, the pedals, the clamp, the desk clamp. Well, the um, Fanatec CSL DD, you know, you do have that option of upgrading the power supply and and bumping up the newton meters from five to eight. You know, it costs you a little extra, but it's not a bad bad option if you think. You might wind up um, upgrading the the force feedback. Yeah, this is definitely in competition with that product from Fanatec, um, and so yeah, it's just a matter of which ecosystem do you want to buy in. Now, Moza doesn't allow real other rims, so you got to go with a Moza rim. And so I think that's another reason to look. You know, I'm really impressed with that Asetec uh, wheel. You know, the reviews were so good, and to hear Will Ford say such good things about uh, the feedback. Uh, it's impressive. Now that's quite a bit more for their entry level. I think it's twelve hundred uh, for the wheel, the base uh, together. I think for their entry level one. All right, for you triple guys, what do you think about wall-sized triples, Donnie? Yeah, this is funny. My uh, actually, my buddy sent me this a few weeks back. But uh, Drew Build Stuff made a YouTube video of a life-size triple monitor setup where he, I don't know the size of those TVs, 55 inches that he put vertically mounted to a wall. You know, this isn't, um, obviously he's not in a sim. Looks like he's in some arcade type of driving. He's on a wooden chassis of some sort. Um, but I've seen this setup in, in person at like various offices throughout wherever. Um, so the actual building of the TV wall is becoming a common thing people are doing for uh, displays. Sometimes they'll just throw them up for art purposes, or it'll be like a view out somewhere. I actually really like it if you can, if you can do it nice, but uh, yeah, this, uh, this video is actually pretty, pretty good uh, uh, watch through. I actually quite think that it's a quite a waste of space though for, for racing. You're not getting any of the advantages of, of triple view, view in fact probably there's an fov police issue because you can't even see the corner of the front of of the of the front of the car so you're not getting any peripheral vision it's really far away and those bezels in the middle are also eyesores yeah you're never going to use this a sim racer won't use this won't spend the money to do this but when you have a uh, windowless office and you're trying to impress clients or whatever you'll you'll throw this up uh, as some kind of gallery of some kind but 
to sim race. No, he just built this to build it and to do something cool. He's racing. I don't even know what the heck he's racing on there, to be honest. But um, it's not a sim for sure. But yeah, I mean, it can be cool in certain aspects. I love the vertical FOV, you know, and it's nice to have that so you can see above and down low. But but like David said, when you're actually racing, it it's not that at an advantage. The advantage is being able to see all the way to the left, all the way to the right. And obviously with the monitors being vertical instead of horizontal, uh, that's not the case. Yeah, you're not looking up too much when you're racing. I mean, I don't know what you're looking up to, but uh, not too much. If you're looking down at the ground when you're racing, you're looking in the wrong place because you surely shouldn't even be looking at the car that's right in front of you. Kind of have high visual horizon, which just means off in the distance. All right, Brian, we have more Moza products. Yeah, this is uh, the Simpit uh, with Sean Cole. He's reviews the Moza HGP um, shifter, H pattern shifter. Um, so I haven't caught this video just yet, but. Um, he compares it to the uh, club sport uh in price and quality um but uh yeah i haven't i haven't seen his con final conclusions yet yeah he liked it 149 dollars um it's an h pattern it doesn't do sequential though um it's got a blip system built in to make it easy uh seven gears plus reverse um yeah, and uh, it's from Moza. Uh, it's it's got a nice look to it. It's kind of big, uh, easily mountable. How what does he explain the blip feature within the shifter itself, as opposed to using uh, the throttle pedal? He talks about it a little bit, um, but yeah, it's somehow built in, so um, you don't necessarily need to use blip in the in the game. It's a good bit cheaper than the uh, fan attack and the quality is similar. You know, that's a hundred dollar difference. It's a pretty good savings. And, and like we talked about before, there's not a lot of options for H pattern right now. You know, it's, it's kind of like, like I said, it's on its way out, but uh, you know, for Moza to come out with, and this is a brand new product they just released this week. Pretty cool. Mike, what do you think of this uh, sim, racing sim racing components rig we have showing here next? Yeah, sim racing components uh, posted up on the Instagram their new 2023 FX Red edition. They call it a newly refined design, unique features, and maximum comf comfort. Um, you can even pay it over three months interest free. And uh, what they show is like a 80-20 style rig. The uprights are are at an angle, uh, much like the next level racing style cockpit. Um, also interestingly, uh, it's kind of got a formula style seating where the pedals are up high and the pedals are actually on ped on uh, uprights as well that are at an angle, which is kind of a unique design. The other neat thing about this is that it's all black with red accents. So that's where they get the red. Yeah, this company's out of Italy, it appears. But um, yeah, I'm curious about why they they do have a rig on their site with uh, 8020 as an upright, as opposed to this flat piece of of uh, I'm assuming steel to keep it sturdy. Um, but not a not a lot of customers. I oh sorry, not a lot of modifications you can make to this. That's right. With those up, uprights just being straight metal, I mean, 
there's only going to be one height available. You're not going to be able to go up or down. There's a lot of different positions for the pedals to go. So the pedals can come down quite a bit and up. Well, as far as up and down, that you have these long grooves if you look at the sheet metal. So it, it's still adjustable. You can control the height within the range of those those grooves that you see on the side there. Those long lines towards the top above the SRL logo or SRC logo. Right. And then if the wheat, the seat also appears, it can be set up right. So I imagine you can certainly switch this to a GT style seating. Uh, all you need to do is lower the pedals a little and, and get the other chair. Pretty, pretty neat looking cockpit. All right, Brian, you know, if it's motion, I'm probably going to send it to you. Yeah. So we're looking at, um, a, um, it's ramp photo from, uh, guy, calls himself Road to Immersion. He's built a motion rig with a four actuator platform system with um, a formula seat in it. It looks like it's this is a, um, a work in progress where he's, uh, he's building it as he goes. He's got those real nice scorpion, uh, massive actuators for, for mo movement. And he's got a real nice butt kicker right underneath the center of the seat. The seat is really cool looking too. It's a it's a it's a formula seat. Um, you know, you're definitely going to be laying back in it, but uh, yeah, it's 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 clean and nice looking. So uh, I think uh, I think this is, is uh, in in build. So he's uh, he's still continuing to work on on it, but he's off to a, a quite a good start right here. Yeah, I'm, what I it's noticed a neat about design. This, yeah, what I noticed about this is instead of the square or rectangular yeah. base it's a cross base so it's just got a beam going right down the middle and then um it's it's got beams cutting across the front and back of the seat yeah i'm looking at his instagram and there's um some build pro uh, pictures of it as it goes in that whole beam system you're talking about david there's a single picture of it uh with that on the uprights and it's it's actually interesting i'd like to see how this thing this thing works he has a rig set up uh, one of his pictures down here that's uh, pretty impressive. He he also has a sim coach's handbrake in the background, if you can see on that picture, the main picture. I'm fascinated at how the seat is attached to this this crossbar, as you call it, where the you know the eighty twenty goes right up the middle, and he's got a crossbar you know at the back part of the seat and the front part of the seat with with ninety degree angle. Uh, you know mounts there but then he's also got like a, a shock absorber you see the yellow uh in between there he's got like some rubber pieces with like a shock absorber type thing that on is sitting on the four post of the of the seat so he's got the the vibration uh he's got the seat separate from the actual rig with these uh with these uh shock absorber things and that's so that the butt kickers vibrations don't go into the rig and all the energy goes into the chair. Right. The butt kicker, he's got a, a yeah. big one attached right under the seat. And, and like you said, that's shaking the seat, but it's not getting into the rig. I'm really, I would really love to find out, first of all, if he just kind of designed this, this himself, or if this is a company that's come up with this cross design and what are the advantages of it? Uh, is it lighter? Is that what it's given you? I don't know, but if you look at the left of the seat, that's where the butt kicker's at. What, if you look to the right, what is that disc sitting underneath it? It's almost like a dinner plate size. Do you guys see it? I, I saw that and have no clue. I wonder if it's part of this the system. He calls it race-based isolators. That's what I was calling the little shock absorber. 
I dig it. I wouldn't mind following up on this later and seeing how, when he completes it, what it turns into, because uh, I'm not hating what I'm seeing. It almost looks like it could be some kind of speaker. Do they make I, I just Googled uh, the race-based isolator, and it's made by uh, Simtag.eu, and uh, they sell it on their website. How much were those scorpions, Brian? Oh, I have. We had them on the show before. I can't remember, but they were they were up there. They were expensive. Yeah, I I really like this rig so far. I mean, like you said, it's a work in progress. He's got the seat. He's got the the butt kicker part. He's got the motion. But that's all. That's it. There's nothing else yet. All right. Well, that wraps up the hardware section presented by Metro Ford of Chicago. talk racing results we'll start with the nascar iRacing series and finish up the daytona 500 friday i got the pole position guys that felt pretty good i actually dominated the first part of the race i led the most i was in total control of the race um at about for up to about 70 to go i was actually second on the outside pushing the guy in front of me and somehow some way i hooked his bumper and wrecked the entire field i had 18 minutes damage david p26 yeah i got a speeding penalty on exit on the first green flag stop and it stayed green basically until 15 laps to go so i was two laps down and never had a chance to get it back all right tony rochette p33 started second was doing okay and just brushed the wall and wrecked uh my car it was super loose with all the damage fixed a few laps later i lost it again and just parked it uh just to go get my ass kicked in some hard ass ai in call of duty dmz donnie p17 yeah actually i was running up front i ran up front all week which felt great finally at a play track um but i pitted off sequence i pitted without help one other oh that's right i pitted with one other guy who ended up taking four tires at the wrong time so i went out by myself um and just basically got stranded eventually wrecked by a gentleman i, I raced the the on sunday morning but uh, yeah p17 good run though for the most part other than the finish all right, Sunday open. Brian, you got to run P10. Yeah, I started a P8. Um, I stayed pretty much up in the front, actually led some laps as we were going along. Got a little bit of damage when this dart without feathers was wrecking in front of me. It was one of those guys that, like, he was just, everybody was complaining about him because he was just all over the place. He was running to people and he caused a couple of, a couple of wrecks. And one of them, I got a little damage. I just got pinned to the wall where, you know, one car comes up and just pushed me into the wall. Nothing damaged on the front of the car. So, um, yeah, I got it fixed and I was still okay. And I actually wound up getting back to the lead. And then I wound up getting a black flag for passing us the pace car of all things. Cause it was it, it, the, the caution came out right as we were getting to the start finish line or maybe right before it. And I guess the car, the space car pulled out and, uh, you know, we were just creeping along the batch stretch and around the corner. It still hadn't come. And, uh, I went into the pits cause I needed, uh, I needed fuel and, uh, the car still hadn't gotten past me at that point. And I got a black flag, put me two laps down. I got one of them back with some, with some cautions, but never really made it back all the way. 
just gotta stop. You can't keep rolling. Yeah, I know. And it seems it seems so dumb just to park on the track to wait for a pace car. It seems really unrealistic. And but you know that's the rule. I, I got screwed. Hey Mike, um, you forgot my Friday result there. I forgot to put it in. All right, how'd you do? Uh, that was the night that I was leading or in the top five, and I ran out of. Uh, I was trying to run. Uh, I think it was 45 laps on a tank of fuel and I ran out or I had to pit with one to go and I think I finished, I think it was P12, um, but I had a chance to win it if I, if I probably just would have pitted with the guys that did the splash and go, I probably could have fought for the win, but I tried to push it and just didn't work. Uh, Tony Rochette, P30, started on the pole, fell back a little, survived some stuff with a very aggressive car that was just pushing everyone out of the way. Welp, a little over halfway, that car caused a wreck that couldn't avoid and just killed the front end. Welp, no repeat 500 win, but let's get it for the last time around the two mile auto club. David, wrecked out. Yeah, all, I've ended up never having a good result at Daytona, even though I was a front runner in every race. Uh, this one, just kind of riding in the front, and we have a guy on one of the restarts who's not a very good plate racer, tucked down in, in, during the restart, kind of get in front of us, and he just could not maintain the pace, maintain a steady pace. He would keep closing in on the group in front and then checking up hard. Uh, and he checked up hard one time, and instinctively I moved to the side instead of just running him over. Uh, and then uh, I got hit from behind, un unavoidable for the guy from behind, though. So um, just uh, no luck at Daytona. All right, Donnie, P6. Yeah, this was, was was much better. Ran up ran up front uh, most of the race, led a lap. I was able to lead a lap in all three series that week, so it was good. Um, trying to figure out why I finished uh, six. No, nothing. No, a pretty uneventful race. We did have a guy, uh, probably to Brian's point, we had a guy that everybody was calling out racing on a controller. He actually did cause a couple incidents. Luckily, I got to avoid him. But... Um, but yeah, I mean, they were getting pretty angry at this guy and like threatening everything uh, to get the guy off. He ended up wrecking himself out to to be completely out. But I guess they can find they can tell just by how he was driving that he was on a controller. But he wouldn't pipe up and say anything. But other than that, uh, P six. We race against a guy who's in a controller, and you can do it properly. It's just it it's really hard. And this guy wasn't. He was at least a one and a half lane weaver. All right, Sunday fixed. My last chance. I wrecked out. I actually led some laps. I ran top five, top 10. Around halfway, I was running, uh, and the guy in front of me was high. I went low. Uh, I ended up on the apron. I got pushed into the grass and then wrecked real hard. Eight minutes damage. So I parked it. Greg, P5. Yeah, Mike, you came in and helped me out a bit there near the end, but I was kind of frustrated at the beginning of this race because uh, I got. Um, Coming off of turn four, one of the guys was trying to bump draft me for no reason, I don't know why, and he turned me and I clipped the cone on the pit road and it gave me 36 second penalty to come down pit road, do a stop and go. And so I did that. And by the time I got up to speed and everything, I was two laps down, or one and a bit laps down, but then, um, this is the thing you got a wave around and it didn't work yeah you had to pit yeah so the thing that bothered me about this whole thing though mike is when I, they were yelling at me um because i stayed you know david when we stay on the bottom and you let them go around the outside of you 
I broke up their pack and they, there was a breakaway of like eight or nine cards and I broke them up when they had to pass me and they were so pissed at me for getting involved. They're like, it's not, you know, you're two laps down. It's not worth it. I said, I'm not over. The race isn't over. It's 50 laps in. I'm not quitting. And by lap, uh, I think it was 115, I had both my laps back and I was like, this is why you don't quit. This is why you do whatever you can. If you want to go to the top and let everybody buy, you might as well just exit the race and uh, not do it. Cause it was, I was trying to stay in it. Um, Mike, you came back after your race was done and uh, spotted for me, got me back through the field. I came from the back to the front um, and I just didn't have the luck in the last lap. Yeah. yeah. My race where I was two laps down, I backed off and went up one because i had no chance there was only like five laps left i was coming out of the pits from topping from having to top off so at that point it was the cost the benefit of give, doing them a favor was bigger i wasn't going to get two laps back with only five to go but in, yeah in your situation i would have i would have stayed down there and tried to take a chance to even race back on race back one of my laps well the thing that bothered me the most is the fact that like you get you know they were basically discrediting my credibility that I'm not like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, or the fact that the one guy said, you know what, you're not going to get any breaks in the rain in the race. I'm like, I'm not in here to get breaks. You know, you don't give breaks later in the race. You give breaks in the beginning of the race. Yeah. And you don't, you don't have to, to have your respect, their respect in that situation. Most of the time people will forget stuff like that later anyway. And I want to point out it was a long race. So, you know, you lost your lap. You, you took a wave around as a chance to get it back. It didn't play out because it went green. You had to pit for fuel and lose the lap again. And you were right back where you were, but but this it's such a long race. You just wait for the next one and you finally got a wave around and then you got a caution. And so you were able to get on the lead lap, get the on the same fuel and, and then it was time to go. But boy, at the end there, we just weren't making the right moves. I mean, it, 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 you were in position to win, but the the way the lines were lining up, like the bottom was dominant, and then it was the top, and then it was the bottom. We were just picking the wrong one. Yeah, it was it was all over the place. And and like you were saying there, once I got to one lap down where I could go and fight for the lucky dog, then it's on. Like that's when I started racing. And I didn't mean to break up their pack. That. Uh, big set is so loose when they try and go around the outside you turn down which they were doing in the middle of the corner they got loose and they broke apart because of it if you would have just stayed up top let gone by and I would have gone on the back of them it, it, you know it just I don't know what that there were just a couple guys mad because it broke it up and it's you know it's on their racing skills and what they did not what I did all right let's move on to California Fontana AAA Auto Club whatever you want to call it. And man, I was, I was really surprised at how good we ran. Let's go through it. Tony Rochette, P3, Tony Rochette, had a strong long run car, had a second and a half lead with eight to go and bam, caution. One car on 40 lap tires stayed out and blocked me and had two cars get by me. A green white checker later just couldn't get up to rip the top and I sucked on new tires, P3. Steve Allen, P5. He said he got spun and came from the back twice. David, P19. You probably should have saved me for last since I'm the only one not in the top 10. You're in the top split, we know. No, it was second split actually, but it was it was a 4,500 second split. So, 
Um, well, I was actually the car 33, so you got to be happy with the P19 in that situation. Uh, decent long run speed, but we had cautions every 10 laps for the first half of the race. Um, so I started getting some of the positions back first by just avoiding the cautions. And then I showed some decent long run speed, but there's still just a lot of fast guys. Cali's not my best track anyway, so um, we'll call P19 okay. Hey, and then Greg, P2. Yeah, so um, this race was interesting, but it, like, it was kind of like playing out to be a fuel style mileage race. And then it, and then we got some late cautions and I was just up front uh, most of the race, stayed there. Um, and I was P2, all three green white checkers. And I just, I was racing with the guy on the last lap and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it on that last restart. I just didn't have enough. Each one of those restarts, I was burning the right front off of it. I don't think I had anything left in that right front on those green white checkers, but uh, uh, I'll take the P2. Right, and then my finish, P3. I actually had a great car. I got doored at one point, uh, had damage, got half of it fixed, um, came up from the back after that to finish P3. It was a great run. I was actually a little bit in shock about how I ran. Now, as we approached the end of the race, I was coming. I mean, if I had two or three more laps, I might've had something for the lead. Um, so very happy with the result. Tyler Williamson, P5. Finally, a solid run after a string of the Daytona Blues. Started 35th and raced my way up. Used the high line the entire race, keeping the tires cool. Several cautions around each pit stop helped make my way through traffic after two mistakes blowing my pit box. Able to save enough tire for the end and took fifth. Seeing green on the SR and IR, let's go. All right, and then finally, uh, we have a winner, Tom Dryling. He wins. He started 29th. He doesn't like to qualify. He likes the back end pit boxes. He worked his way up through the first half of the race, was able to get myself into a top five spot when the cautions started coming was able to get to the lead with 10 to go. After two green-white checker attempts, I was able to hold off everyone to capture my first win of the season and my 21st NIS career win. Well done, Tom. Steve McKenzie, you got your first NIS start and it was P30. Yeah, it was a, it was a rough start to the race. I started 20th, got up to about 15th, and then on the third lap, there was a guy on the the low line and I don't know what happened he just slid right up hit me put me into the wall I go into the pits and I had 30 minutes required or 30 seconds required and like four and a half minutes optional so I did the required a little bit of the optional tried to go back out to stay only a couple laps down but the car just just wouldn't drive it wouldn't turn it was shaking everywhere so I went and fixed the rest of the damage and was 15 laps down but the car was running well after all the damage was fixed and i uh i came out after fixing it all in about 35th and got up to 30 after so uh, aside from the start it was it was a good run right well welcome to the series uh i think you'll do well uh thursday open it was tony rochette p18 i took the day off from the ice storm we had last night Started six, was okay till I got caught the wall and fell back and then caught in a four wide situation with me on the top in turn three. Made my way to the top 10 from the back and then had two cars in front wreck and, and had to go to the back again, P18. 
All right, other official racing. I ran the Formula IRO4 at Bolton Park Circuit. I qualified 14th out of 23. Man, I got the P6 by the end of lap one. Finally got to the inside of a guy on a hairpin turn. He dogged me down to the grass. I fell back to 15th. Somehow, some way, I rallied all the way from 15th back up to 8th. It was my first race in the car. Second race, I uh, ran the Formula IR at Road America. We switched weeks. I qualified 11th, got to P6 by the end of lap one. Eventually got to third, but spun and fell back to six. Had a great battle with fifth uh, there at the end. Next, I ran a Delara Dash at Daytona, wrecked it out. And then finally, a Formula IR04 at Road Atlanta, qualified P6, got to P4 by the end of lap one. Stayed in it till the end and finally got to third, a great podium finish. Love this car. David Hall, uh, A open, P4. Yeah, this one was another 400, 4,500 strength of field, but it was a little bit more wide split because the, the splits from the top to the bottom are bigger on the open. And since they have so much more, uh, this one was neat because I set my fastest lap on 73 out of 80. Uh, and was uh, pretty neat because usually I'm not, uh, well, that that part set the, set the fact that I usually do run faster at the end. But what was really neat was that I had the fastest lap in the whole field. Uh, that that's I'm not a great hot lapper, but I'm a I, you know I was right up there in the draft and racing with the leaders, um, and I really learned to run the high line really well uh, against a lot of guys who would just go to the low line. And if they go to the low line, I could either ride the wall or run uh, kind of the second middle lane and just drive in deeper and but still be able to get off the gas at the same time which is very counterintuitive for usually the ovals you want to get off, off as early as you can but it seems like turn three you, you're at a bigger advantage if you drive in deeper on the high side uh so that was pretty neat to get to get that high and it had my hopes up for the for the uh, nis race but there was just too many more people that were even with me in speed in the nis race okay greg a open p1 yeah, this was an awesome uh, end of a race. Um, there was two cautions early and guys were taking tires and uh, I decided on one of the cautions just to fill it up with fuel, um, see if we can get a fuel mileage race and just run it in the back. And there was a caution with I think 15 or 10 to 15 to go and I got the new set of tires on and I drove from 27th up to the lead. And uh, I, I absolutely, uh, hung on on a green white checker and it was uh it was an awesome finish and uh, i'll take the win um and this week has been really good at this track i really love uh fontana let's bulldoze it then let's bulldoze it it's funny all the tracks that we used to hate are now great with this car and now it's terrible with short tracks and plate tracks we hate everything that's going away or we we start to love everything that's going away that's kind of how it seems to work. No, this car is just better at the big tracks than the than the old car was, yep. and not better at the at the uh, small tracks. Let's bring back Chicago Land. Hey, Donnie, you got the P6 and P16. Yeah, so P16 was my first run at it. Um, I kind of used my own set. I, I took a, a hybrid between a couple just to see if I can try something different, learn something different. Um, and I was just letting off too early. I was saving too much tire. 
I think after 44 laps, I had 68% of my tire left on my right front. So definitely nursing it too much. So by the second time I ran, I started running the track a little bit better, but I think I'm still saving a little bit too much. So tonight uh, I'm gonna try uh, the team set a little better and uh, hopefully improve a little bit. All right, Lee Grayson, Brian, OBRL Cup, P23. Yeah, so uh, it was Daytona, just like we're following the schedule for that series. Um, I had a decent run going. It was kind of cool because I started P21 and wound up hooking on the end of the outside line. And we actually ran a, a long time with uh, you know, two wide and... Um, that outside line actually was faster than the bottom line. We were catching up. I don't know if it was the line or we were just um, organized better. It could have been it. And uh, yeah, we just started started making a headway and started passing the lower line. The, the high line pulled forward. So um, the race went really well up until uh, rat lap uh, with 18 laps to go. Um, I was getting close to the front. I was in the front pack and I was in decent position, not, you know, probably around top 10. Um, and uh, we were too wide again and we were coming off a of four and the, the car that was on the high side got loose coming off a of four and came down and side slammed me and shot me down to where the, uh, the, uh, entrance to the pit road is i was able to to get the car turned and, and steer away from the wall i just barely missed the wall got back on the track and uh you know but by then i was well off the lead pack and it stayed green the rest of the way so i never was never able to um, get the field bunched back together and uh finished 21th uh, field of, it was a 43 car 46 car field by the way huge field that's big for a league Okay, with that, let's jump to final thoughts. Brian McCubbin. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, really cool to, to get back on NIS. I haven't did, didn't do it the last half of the season. My I rating took a hard nosedive because I was having internet problems, and I would register the last three of the four, last three or four races I raced in NIS last year. I registered for the race and then had internet problems and got de dead last in four, three out of my four races, and it just tanked my eye rating it was terrible but um i think i got everything figured out now where that's not going to happen again so i'm looking forward to uh to 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 um nailing this uh this uh nis season this year and really really working my way through the whole season so looking forward to it can't wait yeah why not let's get to one start a week and let's see where the pay the points shake out david hall final final thoughts I'm definitely not off to the greatest of stars. Uh, Greg was showing his position in uh, in Division Two, and then I went and looked at Division One, and I'm currently 142nd in points. So yeah, um, got to build up some there. Just get start pulling in some good finishes. All right, Bonnie Spiker, final thought. Yeah, this weekend coming up is uh, bittersweet. I'm going to Fontana. I've been going there since '98. Missed the inaugural year in '97, but uh, going there '98 uh, still one of my earliest memories that's ingrained in my brain uh, hearing the car start for the first time so yeah taking my boys i guess we're gonna sit through uh sunday for two races sounds like uh it's gonna be cold bring your umbrella it's gonna be really cold um the coldest i've been at anything was a couple years ago at fontana the year alex bowman won and that was cold because the wind comes from comes from the the north to the south and it blows right in your face in the grandstands there so yeah it's gonna be terrible it's gonna be cold well, the real question is what do you consider cold um, so I would say 
There was 25 to 30 with the wind blowing around 25 to 30. So standing there on cold metal bleachers, it's kind of cold. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that if it's actually that chilly. I didn't know it got that cold in California. I didn't think y'all knew anything better lower than 50. Heck, I woke up at my house today at 19 degrees. It snowed here today, so. So what, I would, that's still short weather here. We get it. It's cold up there. <laughs> also get to burn in the summer, so that's great. Hey, uh, Greg Hectus, final thoughts. Uh, I just love bugging Donnie. It's okay. He's going to be, it'll be hard to see if, uh, I hope we can get through the weekend and actually watch the race on Sunday. I don't want it to be on Monday when I'm at work. I took Monday off. I think it's going to happen. I think both races will happen Sunday. Uh, yeah. So I'm just looking forward to, uh, racing again Friday night. See if I can get that uh, elusive P one, uh, that I need for this track. Um, I really love Fontana, how it races. I love tracks when they wear out. I'm really good with tire wear and fuel management type races. Um, so it kind of suits my style. Um, I was showing yesterday, I think I said, or I was showing to David and them yesterday that I'd, I'm almost up 500 I rating since the start of the NIS season. So that's pretty uh, exciting for me considering I was bleeding it out my rear end last year, near the end of the year. And, uh, I was sitting pretty good in the standings in Division Two uh, at eighth, and I guess I'm 48th overall in in NIS Open in general. Um, so I'll uh, keep taking these things, go up the board, and uh, I guess it'll be a lot more better points stand finished or points percentages uh, if I'm in Division Two racing Division One guys. If I get up there with David, yeah, you'll be racking them up. Now, what else has changed that's helping bring that I rating up? With your, your I'm strategy. racing more than once a week. Yeah, and specifically A opens because you get a bigger split in the I rating, so you can get kind of bigger gains because you're beating more uh, guy. Even though it may be because they wreck out, you're beating. You, you get a lot more I rating when you beat a guy with the six thousand I rating versus a guy that only has twenty more I rating than you. Well, and I'm also getting a better feel of the setup for the NIS, so using the A's to figure out what I need or what we're missing or I'm missing as a feel, which I was losing last season when I was coming in too late in the week and people had already felt I was behind when people are feeling out their setups and they already knew what they were racing with. Yeah. Like I'll run, I'll probably practice about 30 minutes and then I'll try to get at least two a opens or three before the NIS. Cause no matter how much testing I do, I don't really know what I have until I get in there with a real pack of real racers. And so that's definitely the big advantage and it uh, it's going to put you in a better place for NIS, but also you're gaining more I rating right now, probably because you're really that fast and you just haven't been racing enough to, to get there. I also have decided to not run any leagues this year either and just focus on opens. I've actually run some fixes with Mike there where I ran the fix Sunday night. So I don't know if I'm going to run more fixes, but at least get more time behind the seat this season. I just, I want to race a lot better here and um, enjoy this car this year. Hey, and uh, newcomer Mackenzie Stevens, your final thought. Yeah, well, it, it was exciting to run my first race in the NIS series. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to see how I can improve throughout the season here. Hopefully, hopefully I can get quite a bit better by the end of it. Um, I'm planning on running it tomorrow night, I think. I'm pretty sure I'll be able to and possibly Sunday. 
hopefully I can have some better finishes in those races. All right. Well, we're happy to have you. Welcome to the team. Uh, my final thoughts. Uh, wow. I'm looking at the points. Um, I'm division three with Tom Dryling. I'm running seventh in points. Tom is fifth in points. We're about eight points apart. Uh, man, I can't, I'm just still in shock about how we ran at California. I mean, we had a first, a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, uh, a bunch of great runs of, amongst the team. And so very encouraged for tomorrow night. Uh, you know, like I said, I was looking at a win perhaps if I had a few more laps. So, uh, I'm going to go into tomorrow night with some confidence and uh, hopefully get that baby. And with that, Hey, we'll see you on the track later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure you go to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.